So hi, and welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. And I'm always excited when I have guests coming on for the first time and when I have guests coming back for the second time, especially when they're coming into our wonderful new studio as well. Now, listen, the world has gone bonkers. I've said that before. It's become even more volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous. And that just isn't going to change. I'm talking to so many leaders across the world who talk about having to lead through utter chaos. In fact, one of the biggest challenges for any leader of any size organization anywhere in the world right now is how do you lead through anything? So like all of these episodes, I have to find some people who are far wiser than me. So I have got the wonderful Dustin Seal and Ed Manfrey with me, who are both senior leaders themselves, partners at Hydric and Struggles. You'll see the common denominator now, won't you? In relation to a force for good. And also co-authors of this their new book, Lead Through Anything. And that is actually going to be the focus of this episode. How do you lead through anything? And how do you lead through anything when it constantly changes? You do not want to miss this episode. Come back to me just after this. Hi, I'm Adam Pacifico, and welcome to The Leadership Enigma, a world-ranked, award-winning podcast that's insatiably curious as regards what leaders do, how they do it, and importantly, why. We'll delve into the human doing, but even deeper into the human being and the power of human-centered leadership to drive sustainable change. So whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts and disruptors, as together we will discover that success leaves clues. So it's a huge warm welcome to both Dustin in the studio Thank and you. Ed online in California. How are you, gents? Doing well. We'll start with Dustin, because I know, Dustin, you haven't seen the studio before. This is your second time on the show. What do you think? Well, this is a lot better than my study. Last time, <laughs> I think I was in a dark study in the mental, middle of winter talking to you over Zoom. Uh, it's great. This is nice to be face-to-face, -face, I, isn't I can it? see my friend Ed over there on a screen. So, Well, we can see Ed. And Ed, we're going to come straight across to you because I know you are early in the morning uh, over in Los Angeles. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, are you ready for this episode, sir? Completely ready. And by, by the way, from my vantage point, the studio looks terrific. Well, I'm hoping that you will come back to us and come visit us in the studio the next time you're in London. Uh, listen, I've done a very, very quick intro, so let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, you know, I've described you both... Uh, as senior leaders, both as partners within Hydric and Struggles, and co-authors of now this wonderful book, Lead Through Anything, which we have on the screens behind us. I'm going to ask you as to why on earth you would put yourself through the ordeal of writing a book, having done that myself. But let's begin with a little bit about you. So, Dusty, I want to come to you first. Tell us a little bit about you and your background and why you are so passionate about leading through anything. Sure. Um, first of all, I run Hydric in Europe and Africa at the moment. He's actually my um, boss. <laughs> lucky enough to lead um, some amazing people that are uh, doing incredible work. Um, if you look at the book, and we'll come back to that, that is a pretty bold assertion. Uh, but spent the last, you can hear from the accent, I'm not from London. Sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sorry. I, I was born in the States, uh, came over here about 28 years ago for a one-year assignment. Yeah. Uh, my entire career has been helping leaders lead their businesses uh, in ways that get them better results. So focus on culture, focus on leadership. And over the years, we had 9-11, we had the dot-com bust, we had the 
the financial crisis, we had the pandemic, and now we're where we are. And uh, my passion is helping leaders create healthier environments that outperform no matter what they're facing. Okay. I want to come back to the passion that you have because I want to understand where that's, where that's coming from. But let me uh, switch across to you, Ed. A little bit about your background. Again, you've been in the industry now for a number of years. You're working at senior levels with global organizations. But, but tell us a little bit about your story. Thank you, Adam. So, and by the way, that passion between us is shared and it's what's driven us through this book and now taking the message out in the world. Yep. But about me, it's nearly 20 years focused on leadership and culture. And I, I refer to this as an accidental career for anybody I meet for the first time. And the reason is because it's not one of those things I woke up someday early on in life and said, this is what I'm just jamming to do. Let's go after this. It happened to me. It actually crashed into me. I was part of a, in another industry, part of a really thriving family-owned boutique that was uh, award-winning and really cutting edge in so many different ways. And and one day, the family decided that their next step was to sell to a large corporation. And so pretty early on in my career, my experience went from being part of something that was thriving and really unleashing awesome innovation and value in the world to something that really got hampered by what was not a well-managed acquisition and integration. And it was nobody's fault. There's not judgment around that. But what I learned was that the dynamics of people, leadership, and communications matter a great deal. And so for me, being in the middle, this epicenter of an organization that went from being kind of at the top of its game to suddenly being very inward focused, concerned for the future, without that kind of vision that you need to marshal people through an event like that, it dawned on me to say, what is going on? This is like an invisible chemical fire kind of mowing down this place that I love, can I understand this dynamic better? Is there a way to shape it for good? And part of that and some events surrounding that became a match to gasoline for me. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm going on nearly 20 years of focusing on exactly that, understanding the dynamics of leadership and culture, the world over getting to work with leaders at so many different levels. And I've since um, through this process gotten to work with folks like Dustin and others. I'm an ICF accredited executive coach Um, get to speak around the world on this topic. And we share this passion of how do you unleash the best in others and organizations so that they can navigate anything throughout the world. And especially now in these times, navigating through anything is critical. I'm always um, impressed at how we got here because in some ways there's always a squiggly career in there somewhere. It sounds like that experience was a little bit of a catalyst for you in relation to the passion and the focus that you have right now. So Dustin, I'm intrigued. Is there something that comes to mind for you that was a real experience that has made you deeply curious and passionate about why people do what they do and that desire to help people and organizations for a world better led, which I know you're passionate about, but is there something that's really driving that that you can can point at? So I've always been curious. Uh, leadership. I've been in leadership roles throughout my life. I've seen good and bad. I've been good and bad. Um, And I've been curious about the impact that has. What's, I guess, lit the, the, what is the spark for me? It's my kids. Right. Uh, The minute I had son number one, and then eventually just two years later, son number two, uh, I, I felt like my role was, how can I help this world be a place that they'll love being part of, uh, join organizations that are healthy and high performance so that they can bring their best to work. So my kids are, are the, the starting point for me, very close to home, but uh, 
I've noticed that in organizations and in countries or any, any other framework, good, great leaders, actually the ripple effect and the positive impact on people's lives and is when my sons join the working world, the impact that will have for them is incredible. The same is true for bad leaders. Uh, the places, the cultures they create, yeah. uh, that's not where I want my kids. We're focusing a lot, aren't we, on helping organizations and there is a real drive now for organizations to do more, even more than perhaps governments and, and regimes. And I think a lot of the young, younger generation are now looking for businesses with very, very powerful and compelling purposes to be a force for good, to make mm. the world a better place. How do we reconcile that, gents? What are your thoughts in a world that has gone fairly mad at the moment and there are things that we simply have no control over whatsoever? So is it, is it in some ways adding fuel to the fire for that passion or, or do you in some ways feel disheartened as well sometimes in relation to what we can achieve individually and collectively? Where, where, where do you kind of sit on that? Because we talk a lot about a world better led. Yeah. But sometimes we might look at the world and think, wow. So I'd love, I'd love to hear Ed's thoughts on this. I'll share some of my thoughts. Uh, first of all, it was going to be called A World Better Led. Right, okay. I <laughs> that, didn't know that, actually. Uh, so that, that was a good lead-in. That got vetoed. Um, and we ended up with the name, which actually I think says what we're trying to say, okay. which is no matter what's in front of you, there are some principles that can help you lead more effectively through that. Uh, disheartened. No, not yet. Good. Um, Fundamentally, I believe the zeitgeist of the world is moving in a positive direction. Uh, we are in a funny spiral at the moment. Mm. Um, my belief is we will lead ourselves out of it or not. Uh, but my overwhelming feeling is that great leaders stepping up uh, and doing things differently, uh, we, can, we can navigate the challenges around climate, the challenges around instability and turn of socioeconomic, but also uh, some, some challenges between countries around the world. Mm. Uh, we can do it. I fundamentally believe that. And let me come to you really with the same question, because at the moment, I'm with you, Dustin. I'm glad that you've said that, because our work really matters, perhaps more yeah. so than ever before. So, Ed, again, what are your thoughts in relation to, again, the work that we do, the work that you do, the passion that you have, in a world that isn't stopping still and at times is pretty challenging. Sure. So with that, you've got to consider some stats. I think the average person spends somewhere between two thirds to maybe 70% of their lives kind of waking hours, right. working in some way, engaged in, in, in work. And so therefore, when we think about an arena and the, re the arena that we've chosen, you think of the business world or the entrepreneur world or where people spend the vast majority of their time, if you can move the needle there, it has massive effects outside of that. But I'd couple that with a statistic that really has woken me up as of late as in part of writing this book is that it, I, ICF recently mentioned a stat on their site where on average, the average leader is 10 years into a leadership position before he or she receives actual leadership training. And so when you think about a, the potential of a world better led, learning to navigate unrelenting chaos, and the fact that just in, in, in these times, the world is not trained yet to look at leadership fully as a tactical and practical skill from an earlier stage in folks' careers. It takes folks going through cycle 
in order to get to a place where suddenly that investment becomes even more worthy. And so part of us for this book is saying, let's just cut out for a moment all of the the well-intended, almost noise. It's gotten really noisy around leadership. If you had the ability to talk to someone at any stage of his or her career, and, and, and they ask the question, what should I focus on just to try to improve my leadership from wherever I'm, my vantage point is? This book became our answer for that. So the, what we believe is with the, the power of lead through anything and the way that we're now looking at leadership through the research, we can say to them, here are three key principles that if you focus on developing them in yourself and bringing them to life in yourself and others over time, your leadership will be, though always rocky for many, the trend will be and up into the right kind of curve for the course of your career. Now, that's a really interesting point. I had Rupert Jones, who was in the studio a couple of weeks ago, who's a, a former, very senior military commander, who actually said, if you're in the military, you actually get leadership training at 21, 22. And their motto at Sandhurst, which is our Royal Military Academy here, is serve to lead. So are, in some ways, are we getting it wrong by our organizations waiting so long to inject leadership into the people element of a business. Is, is that a mistake? Well, my, my view, yeah. um, if you, I, I think when you get into business, it's still too late. I think our schools should be focusing so even on earlier. leadership. Uh, I wish I had been engaged with the material we have in the book when I was 16, 17, and forming my thoughts about impact in the world and what I wanted to do. <clears throat> so... Yes, yeah, start in school. We should also be focusing earlier in careers. Um, like early in my career, I had to just kind of make stuff up, try to figure out, does this trial work? Trial and error. Yeah, trial and error, which is probably true no matter what. But I think earlier, uh, this book is also for those people who have done a, a long, long time in leadership and had every bit of training there is. I was talking to one of the CEOs that shows up in the book, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, Dustin – the stuff you talked to, talked to us about years ago, which is similar to what's in the book, said it was helpful, very useful. It's essential now. Right. Uh, and for a, ta a senior leader, you're facing not just that disruption outside you. It used to be you could hit the top line growth and your EBITDA number, you were golden. Now you need your top line, your bottom line. You actually have to be really clear about how you're positively impacting communities enabling sustainability. Uh, there's a list that goes on about what you need to be paying attention to. Um, this book gives you simplicity in terms of being able to address that wider scope. Which is why we need leaders at every level. And I think what I'm hearing, Dustin, if I'm writing, is that this is a book that has relevance to anyone interested in the subject matter, whether they are the newest, freshest, brightest intern right through to you know, our, our many decades of experience CEO and, and somewhere in between. Well, can I just add to that, yeah. that it had relevance for us. Uh, we do this for a living. And this is sort of a format we've had for four years together. Uh, Ed is a morning person. I'm a later night person. So late nights, uh, weekends, he was early mornings, weekends. As we went through this, uh, it actually changed the way both of us think about ourselves as leaders. Uh, we've had all the training in the world, uh, but it's it's actually moved us down the line as well. There's a reflective process to writing a book, that's for sure. So Ed, let me, let me come to you as well and ask you maybe almost to answer the question on behalf of both of you. Why this book and why now? So here's, if we pick up exactly where Dustin and you just left off, this book, why this book now? Yeah. In a world consisting of unrelenting change, 
I think it's fair for us to say that in 10 years, we'll look back and say this, this where we are right now is probably the most stable thing we'll have seen in the 10 years in the future. It'll be more unstable just because of the nature of complexity in the world. And so we're asking ourselves a question. If we're trying to help create both a world better led and a place where more and more people can accomplish big things and bring people with them, what's the simplest way you can create a message seeded by research that's also timeless in nature that you can share with as many people as possible who can either jumpstart their leadership journey or tur turbocharge their own no matter where they are in a career. Right. This book was that challenge to ourselves. So why do this? Because we believe the world's in such a state that it can only be made better by scaling a simple, logical, inspirational leadership message for people everywhere to begin to engage with and have the conversation take off to the next level from there. And I know as we talk about the book, we can only deal with certain aspects. So I will ask you how people get in touch and where they can find the book. But the focus of the book is about harnessing purpose, vitality, and agility. And I would love us to deal with each of those three, if we may, gents, so that you can describe a why that is a focus on the book and, and really what you've learned as to the definition and application of, of that component, if we can. So let's start with purpose, if we may. And I don't mind who, who to go to first. I'm looking at both of you here. But let's start with purpose. You know, I'm hearing a lot about purpose. I've had a guest in uh, very recently, Raquel Ficardi, came in and said actually that purpose is becoming the glue between the generations post-pandemic, whereas it wasn't pre-pandemic. So she's, in her research, seeing something different in relation to purpose. So, Dusty, maybe let me come to you. Purpose, what is it and why has this become one of the key yeah. component focus? So yeah. if, I, if I can take a step back. Yeah, sorry, uh, there's a lot the, in there, wasn't before there? Before we go to each of the individual elements, the magic is when all three are in play at one time. Tell us about that, because uh, there's so, this overlap. So there's purpose, vitality, and agility. Purpose being that direction, impact, it's forward-moving. Vitality is about connectedness, creating the sense of belonging, collaboration, energy. And agility is the willingness to never be done, always learning. Now, a lot of leaders have one or two. A lot of leaders that get the top definitely have two. Um, it's a smaller subset that have all three in play built into themselves. Uh, and this, so the three come out of deep research. It, you know, we didn't just come up with three cool names because purpose is cool right now. It's 20 years since the, the study. And so I'll go into purpose. The leaders that we looked at, uh, first of all, they were outperforming in terms of business performance. Yep. The other is that their, their organizational culture, engagement, belonging was exceptional. So they were both performance and creating the environment to sustain that. We, we had a look at them. We talked to, to each, uh, a lot of different leaders. All of them were ambitious, but there was something different about their ambition than most other leaders we talked to. Right. They were not ambitious for self. They were ambitious for impact. They wanted to have an impact on the world. They described it in different ways, yeah. but they were looking to build a business that actually took the world further and into a better place. So that purpose is simply that on an on a individual level. It's when your ego gets checked at the door, that ambition, can I get the next title, to what impact do I want to have in the world and getting clear about that for yourself. Then these leaders, the reason they're different is they were able to actually connect their organization to a higher sense of purpose 
that drove be better performance, but also engaged, as you said, bringing generations together, bringing people. I, you know, it's a lot easier to go to work and to deliver a purpose than to go to work for a paycheck, I think. Perhaps more motivating to get yeah. people out of a, out of the bed. And in relation to that, it sounds like it's about people who are thinking well beyond a product or a service. Beyond a product or a service, uh, often they're thinking about how do they move their industry forward yeah. and beyond. And are they thinking how do they disrupt as well? Did you find there were elements of that or there was an element of innovation in, in that piece too? Yeah, so Ed should talk about that because the agility element really covers that. Okay, well, let's, let's if Ed, can we go on to the agility piece? Because I, I think when we chatted towards us and you talked about that almost being linked to growth mindset as well. Is yeah. that right? So Ed, let me come to you in relation to yeah. agility. Yes, of course. So, uh, one of the analogies that we use, and, and, and we, we both talk about quite often, is yeah. when you see a rocket taking flight, and Dustin, of course, can give a little more on this later. Well, but we're going to ask about see, the rocket, trust when, me. When you see anything flying through the air, um, the, the perspective that you have, you look at it and you see it's kind of traveling in some kind of a straight line or in a, in a clear direction. When in fact, what's actually going on underneath it is that it's constantly calibrating itself against the coordinates it's set for itself. So for us, agility is this in in developed uh, skill and awareness set for a leader to be able to understand no matter what the impact is, what the target might be, where we're going right now, how are we adjusting and adapting to our surroundings and our context in such a way that we're more likely to get where we want to go? And what that means at a personal level is that you're constantly curious, never done learning, always aware. Situational awareness is critical. And at the same time, what that does is it helps you in teams who are purpose-driven, like you've asked the question about, to be thinking in terms of the impact, how can we constantly level up the impact that we're having? And how are we also aware of our, our surroundings in the industry, in competitive sphere, in such a way that we're learning all the new tactics and key methods that we need to reach our customers and our clients in new and better ways. So what happens is when you combine all three of these, but specifically purpose, which we began with and agility, yes. is you begin to be really going after large ambitious impact for others and at the same time, you're constantly learning and calibrating as you go and expanding and improving on how you deliver on that value proposition. Let me follow up on, on agility because there's something that I'm hearing a lot from, from clients and you may well be too, gents, and that's outside in. The ability for leaders to be able to bring the outside into their work experience and in some ways for them to be able to sense make mm. and work through the noise to create signal, to create vision and to create purpose for those that they lead. Did you come across people who were excelling or doing well, well they, they had an ability to bring the outside in and, and how were they doing that? Because it's quite messy out there. So how, how, how does someone gather what is going on outside and in some ways sense make it? I don't know, any thoughts? So there, there are two, two parts to that. Yep. One, one is outside in, the other one I'll go back to, which is inside out. Yep. Uh, the outside in, um, it's thinking like a scientist. Scientists are bombarded with facts. They're doing experiments, and that's all your business is. It's an experiment. You're doing things in an environment, and you're getting signals back. When you think like a scientist, if the data tells you you're wrong, you're wrong. You, you don't write it off. You don't say, but we're special. You know, you're wrong. And so you adjust, and you take that data, and you learn. The differentiator, um, I think, amongst leaders is we call it foresight, how far out do they see? Yes. Uh, you run into leaders that are, they're actually nibbling on the edges of 10 years from now or 20 years from now. Some are five years. 
uh, the ones that aren't quite thriving are living right this second. The data is hitting them, but they're stuck uh, in the moment. So right. it's that sense making, being able to see the ripples before their waves is the metaphor. But then what does that mean for now? Yes. What do we have to do now when that's going on outside? So that's the outside in. The inside out is vulnerability. As a leader, if you're not good at looking imperfect, uh, you're unlikely to unlock agility in others. You've got to look imperfect, make mistakes, try things. The other day I was talking to a leader and they said, we have a culture of success. No, what is it? Uh, success theater. Success theater. Yeah. Go on. So people doing, they show up, they do their PowerPoints. Uh, <laughs> it says how great they were and look right. at what we achieved. Uh, and he's saying, I, that's not going to get us where we need to get to. Right. We need to be actually be looking at, in a positive way, where we made mistakes, where we got it wrong, and how that's going to make us stronger going forward. Um, so that's uh, the inside out for leaders. You can, you know, you've, you've all, everybody's heard of a leader saying, you know what, I want you to fail and learn or fail small and learn. Sure. And everybody around them is going, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not gonna. I'm just not going to. I know. Um, and, and Ed, I'm going to come to you because I was just about to say one of the challenges, isn't it, is for leaders as well to be able to do that simultaneously to drive high performance in the now, perhaps the inside out, but to simultaneously have or have people around them who can be sense making the outside in. Because you, I suppose you can't just do one for a long period of time, stop, and then try and do the other. In some ways, yeah. you've got to balance that. Is that a fair comment? And maybe I'll come Absolutely. to you, Ed. Yes. Absolutely fair. And part of what we're seeing right now, we yeah. talk about in the book and we see just bigger picture is that the, the the idea of calendars being crammed with as many meetings as possible, as much travel as possible, moving from thing to thing to thing. It's become such a badge of honor to be able to say I'm busy on any given day. But part of our question to ourselves is, what are you busy with? And practically on this, on this topic is, are you learning how to exercise your reflection muscles? Are you actually carving out time with intention to explore and question and inquire and seeing that as core to your business processes and not just as something that you do once we get past the routine busyness? And so part of what we talk about in the book is a leader who routinely asks himself some key questions. Where are we going? Where are our customers taking us? What are we going to look like in 10 years? And just for the sake of getting into the conversation and exploring that with his his team and others so that you're constantly calibrating against this. But without Adam, without this capacity for reflection, it ends up happening to you at random moments as opposed to being something you shape with intention. Gotcha. So there's a reactive and proactive element there as well. I love the phrase I heard that busy is the new stupid. And I try and remind myself <laughs> of that as well as I, and I look at a crazy diary. Are we also talking about strategic thinking here as well? Because that is something that is always being requested or spoken about by clients. Does, does that fit into this part of the conversation or is it something different in your experience? They're, they're linked. Okay. Uh, so purpose and strategy have to be linked yep. because you want, you, you, purpose is what you want to do in the world. Your strategy has to be aligned with that uh, in order to do that. Yep. Uh, that should be coherent with your culture. So those, those things are all, all linked. Um, you know, in our book, there, there would have been some gifted strategists and some people that were le less gifted in strategy. Right. But they were all gifted in setting clarity of purpose. So some may have leveraged their organization and people around them to create the strategy to go get that. Others may have seen the ripples and been able to turn it into that. 
So it's not necessarily you have to be great at strategy to do to be thriving, uh, but it's helpful. I want to come on to the third component because you talked about the success was having at least two of these harnessed together, but hopefully three. So, Ed, let's come on to vitality. So what, what's, the, what's the thinking in relation to vitality? Why was that a, a focus as well for the book? So first of all, this is also part of what came out of the research. Okay. And our mission is to simplify and help to create principles that you can hold a lot in, that people can explore and have layers to them. Vitality is that ability first at, at self-level and then others at self-level. It's the ability to kind of marshal, create, and sustain energy. And then from inside out to be able to connect yourself to others, connect others as team, and really create something greater than the sum of its parts fundamentally. And some some examples that we give yeah. in the chapter about vitality include sports teams that year after year have to recast themselves, even if they've got a couple of the same players. They've got to find a way to create synergy and alignment and purpose with all of them together. At the beginning of every new season, it's almost like a new day. But then you see all the way to thinking about business teams and how do you create that sense of synergy and you're really humming firing on all cylinders is a common phrase you might hear from somebody yep. that feels like vitality is really working for them but absent this piece which i know because we talk about me personally this being sometimes an achilles heel you stay so focused on purpose and so focused on adjusting and changing and growing that you miss out on the synergy and the great energy that comes from being connected with people and unleashing energy in yourselves in an ongoing fashion. Okay, so I have a question because this has come up again, probably because of the pandemic. And one of the conversations I've had many times is that it's never been so important to connect, reconnect and stay connected with the people that you lead and the people that you influence. Because when I think about it, Dustin, in the role that you have within Europe, you have a, a wide influence and these people may not report to you, but you, you provide a, a lived experience as, as the leader of that group. So how important now is it for leaders to be deliberate about connecting, stay connected and reconnected with people at a deeply human level, especially taking into account the pandemic, which was not very long ago. Yeah, never, never more important in right. my in my career. Um, so there's two parts to it. One is as a leader, you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can't find that energy within yourself, get the reflective time or the the exercise, the sleep, whatever else you need to do to have that energy in yourself. It's tough to give away something you don't have. So you need to garner that within yourself. Uh, people, we have a deep need to belong. We're a social animal. We have a deep need to feel connected. Uh, it's how we feel safe, and it's how we fuel our tanks. Um, it is really easy today to, to lose that because you can spend time on Zoom calls and Teams or whatever platform you use. Uh, you get the transactions done, but it's not the connection. Uh, our clients are actually insisting on being face-to-face -face and creating that human connection because they instinctively know without it, they won't have the vitality, the fuel to drive what they're trying to do. And we had a period of without it, didn't we? Mm. And we had a period in our life, which we have probably never experienced before, where human proximity was actually banned. And, and that was an extraordinary period. And it was extraordinary for our kids as well. So do you think that's put things into even sharper focus in some ways? Ed, so let me come across to you because, you know, we've also yeah. talked about uncertainty can create burnout and it can create real stress. And however much certainty you try and provide as a leader, the world is deeply uncertain. And Ed, you talked about this. 
This is just getting it more complex as time goes on. Is that great phase that today is as simple as it gets? So how do, how, do, how do you lead through that? That constant uncertainty and that constant stress associated with, I just don't know what's going on. This is part of what makes the vitality principle essential okay. in the thinking. And it's whatever team you're a part of in the past, now, whatever, how do you create that entity as a special place where people feel like they belong, they're part of something and they're chasing after something great. People have each other's backs and they're really trying to bring out their best. And what we what we find out, Adam, and as you know this all too well, when we when we speak with with some executive teams or some executive leaders about the state of an executive team of any entity, large or small, and you ask them the question, is this team really a team? Oftentimes you kind of go, well, sort of. But to what extent, if you compare the current team you're on to what you might in your mind think, that was the best team I was ever a part of. What are the differences in those? How much more was unlocked from you when you were part of that great team? How much more did you create together and achieve together? And what we're trying to get at is the vitality principle when exercised with intention helps to move you closer to crafting and shaping the team environment in such a way that people feel that sense of connection and purpose and they're focused on being together in the achievement of that. And there's something special that really gets unlocked with this. As you were, so I, oh, go on, Ed, sorry, forgive me for interrupting, carry on. That's okay, I was purely gonna add, you had asked about did the period going through and, and sort of being disconnected from others. Yes. I believe what it's done is it's put a spotlight on the importance of exercising our ability to be together. And there are also some outcomes where people go, Let's be very strategic and, and prioritize when and how we do that for the sake of being cost effective, yeah. for the sake of being good stewards of the organization. So what happens now is what I'm seeing is when people come together, they want to make sure that that time is as dynamic and as special as possible to ensure that they can capture all the value out of being together. Which is not a bad thing, is it? In some ways, it's got us just to think twice about why are we putting people on a plane and how do we maximize our time together and what can we do pre? So I think that that's a good thing. As you were going through the process of the research and the writing, maybe Dustin, I'll come to you. Did you find that diversity of thought also played a part in relation to this, the team element and mm. the success or, or just ability of a team to function in uncertain times. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things that came to mind. Yep. One one is, uh, in, so it is the three elements coming together, the the vitality, the uh, growth mindset or vit, uh, agility, yep. and the purpose mindset. Those three coming together uh, are the magic is you can have a lot of vitality, but when the world's uncertain, it feels destabilizing. Yes. That same world can feel exciting. Uh, so if you're learning, growing, changing, uh, sometimes when you have too much certainty, it's boring. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you like, you know, some uncertainty is, is actually pretty healthy. And in the book, we have three three types. One we'd say is the leader uh, that's sort of drowning in the waves. The second one is the leader that you know the the Superman or Superwoman standing in front of the waves, protecting right. the people behind them. A lot of people did that during the pandemic, and they're retiring now. As best they could. Uh, because they used all the energy they had. This third group, and where the book is pointing, is towards surfers that actually understand there's a changing environment, are able to capture the energy right. of that changing environment uh, with teams, with organizations. So the energy's not pummeling them, they're using it. So that's that you, you mentioned uncertainty, so I wanted to bring that up. Okay. The diversity of thought. 
um, in the in the different uh, with the different leaders we we talked to, uh, one of the things that jumped out is that they were a lot of leaders will choose people that think like them, right? Look like them, think like them. The uh, we'll also tell them that they're super good. Um, most of the leaders in the book, what they've looked for is teams of people that are different than them. Hmm. That uh, so uh, we have a client that's got I think eight nationalities as well as gender and everything else in the same top team. The power of that, well, it actually can work against you if you don't have a thriving team. But if you create a team that's connected on purpose, you know, learning and growing together and has that psychological safety and connectedness, the power of being able to address the problems that we're facing, these are multifaceted pro- uh, problems. Mono thinking, monoculture is not going to get you there. Diverse thinking, actually having the chance to sort of, you know, bump ideas into each other is how you get to the solutions for the world we're facing. As you say, that mono thinking just isn't going to cut it in a world that is is so uncertain. Uh, I want to start thinking about the rocket, Dustin, because I'm going to ask you to explain that in a minute because the picture paints a thousand words. But let me come to you, Ed, because I know the book focuses on simplicity and how essential that is as well. Again, that is a topic that is coming up a lot with organizations because let's be honest as humans we're really good at creating complexity but tell me about simplicity and and how it found that found itself into the book sure so in 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 particular it's mentioned throughout and also a fundamental aspect of the vitality principle and even though we've gone on and on here about the importance of vitality and connecting people and bringing them together one aspect of being a leader who leads from vitality is can you clear the field and help ensure that the key priorities that you and your team together have deemed worthy of the next three, six, nine, 12 months, whatever it is, of your efforts, that they stay front and center, unless you've got evidence, overwhelming evidence you need to shift. And part of what we just hear again and again and again from different leaders and leadership teams is is they go, our priorities seem to be like this. They're always moving, they're always changing, and we're never quite sure which one is the lead one. How does this impact this one? And then also, are we having a conversation about this? And it's almost like that uh, the world has gone to a place in some cases where the crises that we go through help us to prioritize. But fundamentally, what a vitality-driven leader is doing is constantly absorbing, constantly connecting and reflecting so that we're looking at how are these things changing our priorities? And do we have evidence that this path is still the right one? And are we changing it when we need to? Outside of that, there's such inconsistency and instability that's created on teams. And then starting at the top of an organization, that feeling of instability and uncertainty just goes all the way down to the front lines, kind of a who's on first thing. So without being able to, you, you can focus all you want on creating solid energy in yourselves and others, keeping folks connected and, and, and sort of really aligned around things. But absent the what are we focusing on, is that clear? And are we supporting that in such a way that it's getting the investment and the attention as opposed to things that are not on that list? You definitely are hamstrung in some way. And can I can I add something yeah, to that? Go on, um, so that's the capability in a leader to clear the field, create clarity, create simplicity. Yeah. It's the same thing we did in put, put it, pulling the book together. The world is littered with leadership models. Here's the seven things you need to do here. Here's the 10 things that create trust. Uh, now, if you're living in this crazy world, you're just trying to keep above water as a leader. And you got 50 different models, <clears throat> all with too many checklists. Uh, 
we were looking for, do, we, we decided we're going to do the hard work, get through the complexity to the other side, to what is essential, the simplest path to lead through anything. Uh, so it ends up with three elements, the multifaceted, but it's something that a leader can hold on to and use in, as a navigation device with simplicity. And the magic is when all three are in balance at once. And as you were talking to leaders and in the work that you do and the experiences that you've got, did you find that those who were excelling had them all in balance all the time or just they're human that sometimes you're out of sync a little bit? But it, yeah. can, you, can you pull yourself back up? What did you, what did you see in the, you know, the experiences so for, that you had? For sure, there's a couple of things. Yep. One is uh, a lot of models are static. Yep. You know, you get a type, somebody gives you a behavioral style or some other thing, and that's what you are. This is absolutely not that. It's dynamic. So we have a chapter called Almost But Not Quite, uh, which means somebody that has two cylinders running, the other one's sort of a, I'm going through different metaphors, but it's the wobbly wheel. It's not working as well. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, when I reflect on my life, there's a period of time where I could feel something wasn't right. And what was missing in me was that agility and growth mindset. Right. Uh, if I fast forward five years later and I'm thinking, wait a minute, it doesn't feel right. There's something wrong. And I had to look at it and it was vitality that had fallen off. So it's being able to sense and in a simple way, bring yourself back into sync. For, for the thriving leaders, uh, I look at it like the color palette. Let's say the world is really tough and you need every hue possible to navigate it. They all start with the three primary colors. So if purpose is one primary color, agility is another, and vitality the third. Right. Now, if you're missing one of those colors, your palette is limited. If you bring one in, you can actually, you're going to dial one up and one down, given the moment, uh, given the need, to get to the hue you need, to get to the, the energy and solution you need. But you need all three to have that wide array of possibilities. So you need all three, but what you're doing in some ways is, is dialing up or down and, or flexing. Yes. Yeah. Is that right, Ed? And, that, that, that's right. And by the way, performance can come from any combination of these. But what's that? What gets you to right. that next level, really the outperformance that we see in the data or in the, the sort of sustained focus and performance? That's when you really see that sweet spot. And we talk about the in the book and we have examples of the same companies that go in and out of this perfect storm dynamic, if you will, and what they're learning is from that. So when maybe one of the wheels gets wobbly, what happens to them from a performance standpoint? Is there a leadership change? Is there some difference in focus? Have they somehow lost touch with their key sense of purpose? Okay, great. The beauty of having these primary colors as your palette is that this model can be something you go back to and say, what is missing? How can we dial that up? And how do we keep this thing well calibrated and stable for the long term? But companies go in and out of this state. Individuals can go in and out of this state. But you always know you have the home base. And this, the idea of the thriving leader is that you've got a center of gravity that you can come back to again and again. So in many ways, you know, the world isn't static. The challenges and opportunities aren't static. And, the, and us as people or as leaders can't be static. Um, I want to talk a little bit about legacy. I've got to ask you as well, you know, what, what, what is your hope for this book and who it reaches and the message that it, that it provides? But I also want to focus in on some examples. Ed, I think we, we talked, didn't we, uh, last week, and you mentioned Larry Fink as an example, and I, I'd love to, 
to talk to you about that. And I think, Dustin, I'll come to you as well because you talked, you mentioned, or someone mentioned to me an anti-thriver, and I thought that was an interesting uh, phrase. So I'm going to come on to that as well. So, um, Ed, let me come to you first. Um, is, is Larry Fink an example that we should, we should talk about in relation to some of the work that you've done and the research you've done? Sure. So let, let me take a step back on this and yep. say that the, the book is filled with stories of leaders, both we know, both we observe, yes. and both that came up through the research. And there's a number of leaders that make for great examples of what happens when this perfect storm comes together. Yep. And here's what I'll say is that taking away, speaking about just individuals for a moment, what you'll notice about them and what our mission was in articulating the story is that they go through and have a, a core theme in their lives that's about all three of these principles but it's about self-discovery. And ultimately it's this kind of rising tide lifts all boats. Yep. And as their horizon expands, they go to the highest level of thriving on purpose where they start to think about legacy impact, how ambitious is our or my sense of purpose. You look at vitality, they go from how do I get myself marshaled in the morning to how do I create teams to how do I create teams of teams and organizations that yep. are marshaled and focused on impact. And the same thing with agility. How do I go from being a curious individual? How do I get that wheel spinning? How do I teach my teams how to do this? Make it a core capacity and a capability. So there are and no so boundaries we, to this, Ed, right? There's no there's no boundary to this. You can keep that, pushing so, and pushing and striving and striving. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So part of the evidence we see, whether it's in the example you mentioned or many others yeah. that we've got in the book, is we've got leaders who've gone through multiple industries as CEOs. We've got leaders that have gone through different facets of life, whether it's government, business, sports, We've got leaders that were in one industry, but just kept expanding their horizons. Gotcha. So the essence of all of them is that they're finding a way to touch in to these three principles and unleash them in progressive ways. The journey is never done. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things I'd add to that is that when we, you know, we've identified leaders that we think are thriving um, to a person, the people that we address, you know, we talked to and we said, here's, here's the evidence and here's what's going on. Yeah. Those that are thriving are the last to find out. Tell me more. Uh, actually, most of them, because we run into people, oh, yeah, I'm all, those, all three of those things. I'm just fine. I can guarantee you there's something going wrong there. Right. High-thriving individuals, because they're never done, uh, don't see themselves as thriving. They, they actually see themselves as there's still work to be done, still work to be done. So if you start at uh, a base level, if you had a vertical dimension, uh, there's there's people that are thriving at this level. There might be a Satya Nadella who's thriving at this level, an impact around the world. Yes. He would still say, well, you know what? It's not quite, you know, I could make a bigger difference. I could do more. So one of the, uh, there's some sort of humility within thriving uh, that prevents thriving leaders to define themselves that way. Okay. I need to still ask you about the rocket because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm looking through it and we promised people a rocket. So, okay. so, so help us. Put them out of our, our uh, suspense. So, so what's I, the rocket? I got to say that um, the first time I heard this story, it was from a, a mentor of mine, Paul Nakai. Yeah. Uh, and we were looking, he was saying, uh, he was describing so how he was seeing uh, the best sort of leadership around these thriving principles. Now, he's a, actually a scientist, uh, an engineer by background, yep. so was in uh, rocketry. I don't know if that's a thing, rocketry, um, at one point. And he's, he was just telling me, he said, you know what, when you watch this rocket go up, it looks like it's going in a straight line. 
it's headed from Earth to the moon or somewhere else. In fact, it's almost never on course. Literally, very rarely on course. Ed alluded to this as yeah. well, didn't you? But there's a, there's a... Micro adjustments. The micro adjustments in the front, um, it's, it could be fractions of millimeters it's pulling the thing back to, to a straight line or a bigger adjustment, but it's constantly readjusting. Okay. That's what thriving is, is having that gyroscope within you because you're going to be off course. But it gives you early signals that you're off course and you're able to adjust as you go just by, by sensing and being deeply grounded in those three principles. Gotcha. Was it as good a story as you were hoping? It was as good a story as I was promised. <laughs> Put it that way. And let me come to you for, for a final question. Is We've touched very briefly on legacy and I appreciate we've touched very briefly on, on a number of topics. What's the legacy? What's the hope for the book? At the highest level, we, I feel like we're facing a glaring leadership deficit into the next 20 or 30 or 40 years. And it's not necessarily anyone's fault. But what's happened is we've focused on leadership development in a certain way. And when we look out into the world now, we say we have to have simple, logical and inspirational ideas about leadership that can be easily distilled and scaled out into the world so that no matter if you're a tyke or you're a titan already, you can have a simple organized path for yourself and your leadership development that anybody can use. So our, our, our and my great hope for this book is that this can get into the hands of as many people as possible in the stages of their life and career where it can make the biggest difference, no matter where they are right now. But we believe very strongly that based on the foundation of research and the work that we have done for the last 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. that if you can ground yourself in these three principles. The value proposition is you can learn to lead through anything. Let me ask you a final question because it was a question I remember it was asked of me at my book launch. And I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what the answer would be, but the answer has actually been a driving force for me since it was asked. And the question is this, is with all the research and the experience and the process that you've been through to make this a reality, is there a standout aha moment or a learning moment for you that came out of this process? Is there something that's a standout for you? And, and I don't want so, to... So, you know, like you, to yeah, so you've written a book. I have. You, you know what it's like. I do. Uh, and it's, it's... I'm still trying to recover you know, I, from it. You, you don't write it to make money. That's for no. sure. Um, so the, the standout moment for me... Um, yeah was essentially when I when we were looking at thriving and the difference leaders that are thriving make in the world. And yep. we identified this thing you called anti-thriving. Uh, and just how easy it is to look the same. Because we, as human beings, we feel a need. We want, to, we want to have impact. We want to matter. We want a sense of belonging. And we want a sense of control. Um, you can take purpose and instead of purpose, insert existential threat okay and you can take vitality and you can replace it with in group and you can get rid of uh agility and put in control and inventive inventiveness now when you look at some of the leadership in the world uh what they, you can see is you know what the world's dangerous you are part of my tribe uh and 
because that enemy is so dangerous, we're getting more and more inventive about how we address them. Right. Um, so that was it. That was a big moment for me because I thought we have to get the thriving that makes an inclusive, positive impact because those three components are being misused right now and they're not the path out of the challenges we're facing. Okay, I'm glad you've mentioned that. As you say, it was a, it was a, um, a label that did come up. Ed, how about you? Any standout moment learning reflection for you? I would say it's a standout moment that's just turned into a rolling kind of infinity pool. <sighs> right. Affirmation. Yeah, and it just shows up everywhere I look now. Just how difficult it is in this day and age to just execute on the question, how do I become a better leader? Just how difficult that is for individuals in the world, no matter where they are. Where do you start? Uh, how do you use social media, leadership development programs? How do you make sense of it? How do you create something that feels unique, authentic for you? And it's from that, I think, insight and that experience, that empathy almost that I have for others being steeped in this for as many years as we are. We see things that I think it's fair to say other folks may not. But we look at this and go, what an opportunity to be able to come back to here is a place you can begin or accelerate. And I think that that epiphany for me has really helped to us to ground the book in. How do you explain this in a simple, logical, and hopefully inspirational way that'll keep you coming back again and again and using the stories as a way to think about yourself up against them? Yes, but also how do you manifest your own story in this process and bring the best of you to the world? And that, that's really become our hope with Lead Through Anything. Okay, so Lead Through Anything, harness purpose, vitality, and agility to thrive in the face of unrelenting change. When's it going to be available, gents? And so, how can people get it? So I'm going to say when it's available. And Ed's going to say how you get hold of it. <laughs> Voluntold. Just yeah, that, yeah. So uh, November 14th, it's Ooh, right. launched in the world. Um, we're excited about that because there's a limit to how many leaders we can personally work with. Uh, we're hoping that this can have a, a ripple impact on leadership okay. around the world. November 14th. Um, November 14th. Go on, Ed. Yes. <laughs> and where, where to go. Yep leadthroughanything.com slash book will take you to all that you need and very soon by the way we were honored to have marshall goldsmith i saw that the forward of this book which we're so grateful for uh what a terrific partner he is and his team have been and very soon folks will be able to go to the site and download the introduction to the book which includes his forward and what he has to say about the book itself and we'll be talking about that very soon but leadthroughanything.com slash book or just leadthroughanything.com will get you there and you can check Dustin and me out by just putting our names into LinkedIn. That's our primary method. Fine. And what I'll do is I'd love I'll, to hear from you. Okay. What I'll do is I'll put all of those um, links into the show notes as well so that people can just click on those and uh, be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah. Know, people might be in touch to say, hey, help us with our conversation. We can go a little deeper. So I, I hope they, uh, they take you up on that opportunity as well. Listen, gents, thanks so much for taking the time to come into the studio. I know it's still fairly early for you, Ed, over in Los Angeles. Gents, we will all see each other, I hope, soon together. Uh, let's continue doing some great things, make the world a better place, and thank you very much for coming in. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. Thank Ed, you, Adam. Pleasure's ours. Care. Thank you. Thank you. All right, chaps. Join us again next week for more curiosity and insight with the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with me on LinkedIn or visit us at www.leadersenigma.com. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms and on our dedicated YouTube channel. Thanks again for joining the community.